talking about growth. We've talked about our vision. We want to be a church that's actively connecting people to Christ and His church through intentional evangelism, dynamic worship, loving fellowship, personal discipleship, and caring ministry. We know that we reach that end result, that favorable outcome by fulfilling our mission, and that is to love God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. We've talked about what that means. The way we grow people to where they do that is our strategy. We talked about connecting last week. We want to connect outside the church. We want to connect people to the church through membership. We want to connect them to Christ and then his people. Then we want to connect them within the church, small groups, connection groups. The next step in our strategy is growing, and that's where this plant comes in. This is a plant that I'd never heard of until this last week. It's called a mother of millions. The unique thing about this plant is two things, really. It grows rapidly and is very hard to kill, which for somebody like me is a good thing because I don't have a green thumb. The second thing is its ability to reproduce itself. On these leaves are hundreds of seeds that fall off and grow into new plants. As a matter of fact, in the bottom are new plants. In the pot itself are new plants that are beginning to grow from these seeds that have fallen. So number one, it grows rapidly. It's amazing. It's ability to grow, but then also it reproduces itself, which is a perfect picture of what we're called to do as disciples. We are called to grow in Christ, to grow as he molds us and shapes us into the image of himself, as God shapes us into the image of his son Jesus. But we're also called to reproduce ourselves to mentor, and then to multiply. Remember, that's the formula. And so this morning we're talking about what does it mean to grow spiritually? When we're talking about growing spiritually, what are we really talking about here? How do we measure that? Well, those are the questions that we want to look at this morning and hopefully answer before we leave today. The purpose of today is to encourage every follower of Christ to grow, to become like Christ, to mature in their faith, to reach spiritual maturity. And I believe that you can never be all that God wants you to be without making some commitments in your life. Commitments as they relate to being obedient, to following Him, but to growing in your relationship with Him. This is Grow 201. If you'll remember in our first message, we talked about the next step classes, our strategy, how we're going to introduce people to these concepts. We want this to be a part of the DNA of the church. Yes, everyday ministry, but we're also going to introduce folks to this through a series of next step classes. One of them is membership, which we'll be teaching in February. Last week, we talked about Connect. Membership is a part of that, but the membership class goes a little deeper than what can be done in the time of a message. Today, though, and for the next two weeks after today, essentially we're going to be going through the Grow 201 class, the Serve 301 class, and the Go 401 class. Today is Grow 201. We're going to talk about spiritual maturity, growing in our faith. And we're looking in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So if you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at verses 11 through 16, beginning in verse 11. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the training of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. 
Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the, t- the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Spiritual growth. If you are a follower of Christ, you are born again into God's family. And once you're born into God's family, God expects you to grow up. If you think about uh, physical birth, we have two births. If you're a Christian, you have two births. You have the physical birth, and that gives you the desire to grow physically. Your body will grow physically. If you're saved, once you become a Christian, you experience a spiritual birth. And in the same way your body desires to grow physically, God desires that you grow spiritually after you're born again into the family of God. This morning, we're going to look at what it takes to grow spiritually. First, we're going to look at what spiritual maturity is. And then second, we're going to look at some habits I believe that we need to adopt that will help us to grow spiritually. Four habits that will help us grow spiritually. So this morning, two questions with answers. Number one, what is spiritual maturity? What is it? If we're going to define spiritual maturity, what is it? Look back at verse 13 of Ephesians 4. Again, I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation this time. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So you can define spiritual maturity in one phrase. Spiritual maturity is being like Christ. That phrase, measuring up to the full standard and measure of Christ, that's what that means. It means that we are measuring up to the standard that he set, that we are like him. The goal is that we be like him. That's spiritual maturity. Of course, we'll never fully reach that until we get to heaven. But in this life, as we live for Jesus and with Jesus, we should become more like him every day. If you think about it, this was God's plan from the beginning. Look at Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. From the very beginning, back in the garden, when God created man, when he created Adam, he said, let us make man in our image. God created man in his image. It was his plan for man to be like God, not gods themselves, but like God, not sovereign like God, not like the only one and only true God in that sense, but to have the characteristics that God has. The plan was that God wanted man to be in his image, to display his characteristics. Well, what happened was when Adam sinned, that image was marred. So when Adam and Eve chose to sin, the original intent, God's plan for man to be in his image was, was marred. It was the, the, the plan was set off track. And so what God does, sovereign as he is, I believe he already had this plan in place. He sends Jesus to die to pay the, the price that we owe for sins. So that that original plan of of us being in the image of God could be restored. Through salvation, through Christ living in and through us, we now can be conformed into the image of God. And so God's original intent of man being in his image is now possible. His original plan. But it was his original plan from the beginning. God's desire has always been that we be like Jesus. 
And so for us who are followers of Christ, our goal should be spiritual maturity, which is being like Christ. God's goal is for us to be like his son. So let's look at some facts about spiritual maturity as we're defining it. Number one, it's not automatic. Spiritual maturity isn't just going to happen overnight. It's, it's possible to be a Christian and not be spiritually mature. Look at Hebrews 5, 12 through 13. The author of Hebrews says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. But what's happening? Instead, he says, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. They're not learning. They're not growing in their faith. They're believers, but they're not growing in their faith. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. He's saying it's not automatic. It takes time. It takes effort. There are people who have been Christians for a long time but have never developed into spiritual maturity. So we can't expect that it's just going to happen. Number two, it's a process. It's not automatic. It's a process. There's a process to becoming spiritually mature. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of, Christ, of, of Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There, that in and of itself, that verse indicates that there is a process to spiritual growth, a process of growing, of, of learning, becoming like Christ. There is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. It would be easier if there were, but there's not. There's no shortcut to learning anything well. There's no pill that I can give you that if you take it today, tomorrow, you're going to wake up and be spiritually mature. It just doesn't work that way. Spiritual growth is a process. People try to take shortcuts all the time. Some people think, hey, if I just have this emotional experience, I'll be spiritually mature. If I, if I can just go to this seminar, I'll learn everything I need to know to be spiritually mature. And while those things can help, or if I can just follow a set of rules, I'll be spiritually mature. While all of those things may be a component in spiritual maturity, there's no shortcut. There's no one ticket, no one pill that will just automatically make you spiritually mature. It's a process. It takes time. The Bible says it's a continual process. Now, there are skills that you can learn that will help you become spiritually mature. And we'll talk about those in a few moments. There's still no shortcut. It's a process. Third, it takes discipline. This process, if we're going to reach maturity, it's going to take discipline on our part. Look at 1 Timothy 4.7. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Training. An athlete in training, if he's going to excel, he has to have discipline. Physical fitness doesn't just happen, does it? It takes training. It takes discipline. Spiritual fitness is the same way. It's going to take training. It's going to take discipline. And when you talk about discipline, listen, you, we also need to talk about discipleship. You can't separate those two. Those words are very similar, and there's a reason for that. If you are a disciple, that means you are a believer, a follower of Christ, a student of Christ, who is maturing in your faith, or who has reached a level of spiritual maturity. That's, that's the word the Bible gives for a mature believer, a disciple. But if you're going to be a disciple, you have to be disciplined. You can't separate those two. There are disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that we have to practice in order to reach spiritual maturity. Those two words go hand in hand. Disciple, being a disciple and being disciplined. As a matter of fact, the more disciplined you are, the more God can use you for his purposes. 
The more my life is controlled by the Holy Spirit, the more spiritual disciplines I practice, the more God can use me. The mark of a disciple, though, is cross-bearing. Look at 1427, Luke 1427. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. God wants us to bear our cross. How often does he want us to do that? Well, daily. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. So what does that mean? What it, in a practical sense, we know that the cross is a symbol of death. For us, it's a symbol of salvation in the, in the biblical times. Prior to Jesus' crucifixion, it was a symbol of death, a horrific death, a horrible death. And so for him to say, take up your cross, there's, there, there's an intense meaning here. For us today, 21st century, what does it mean to carry our cross? Well, in its simplest form, me taking up my cross daily means that I'm going to do whatever it takes to put Jesus first in my life. That sounds simple. That doesn't sound very difficult, but you think about it. This is talking about complete and total surrender to Jesus and his way, his will for my life. Allowing him to be the first, but be at the center of everything. It means that I'm going to die to myself. The cross is a symbol of death, so I'm dying to myself, my way of doing things. Every day I'm getting up and I'm saying, not my will, but your will. That old life is gone. I've got a new life. Jesus, you're in control. Whatever you call me to do, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to, I'm going to submit to you regardless of the consequences of that, regardless of what type of persecution comes my way as a result of following you. I'm going to identify with you in submission and sacrifice and in service. I want to be like Jesus in every way, including being willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Taking up my cross daily means I'm going to do whatever it takes to put Jesus first in my life and to become like Christ. We want to grow in our faith. Spiritual maturity is being like Christ, growing spiritually to become like Him. So our next question is, how do I grow spiritually? We know what spiritual maturity is, so how do I reach spiritual maturity? What do I need to do to grow? How can I become a disciple? Well, by developing disciple habits. Look at Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Those are old habits that we practiced before we were saved. Then verse 10, put on our new nature, our new habits, new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The old nature, those are old habits that go with that old sinful nature. The new nature brings with it new practices, new habits that come with the new nature once we're saved, being like Christ. God's goal is to make, up like G- make, make us like Christ. So the way that we do that, according to Colossians, is we put off the old nature and all of the habits that go with it, and we begin to take on the characteristics, the habits of Jesus. So we replace those old habits with new habits so that God can use those disciplines, those habits, to make us like Christ. That's his goal. So what's a habit? Well, a habit is a continual, often unconscious inclination to do a certain activity acquired through what? Frequent repetition. That's Webster's Dictionary. It's something you do that becomes a habit because you do it over and over again. Another definition says that a habit is an established disposition of character. So what that's saying is that my character, at least in some way, is determined by the habits that I have in my life. 
So if I want to have the character of Christ, what do I need to do? I need to practice the same habits that he did when he was on earth. If I say I have the character of being kind, that means that I have developed the habit of being kind to others. If I say I am disciplined, I have the character of being disciplined, that means I've developed discipline in my life. At least in some way, our character is determined by the habits that we participate in our lives over and over and over again. A habit is also a customary practice, something that you do over and over. I enjoy playing golf. I don't play very often. I don't have time to play very often. I enjoy playing. But because I don't play very often, I'm not very good. My previous church, every, every now and then I would go with a group of retired men that played every single day. These guys were good. Yeah, I see here some of you sighing, and that's how I felt. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I mean, we're talking guys that are twice my age that could whip me all around the golf course. I mean, these guys were incredible. I couldn't keep up. I mean, I didn't have a chance. They played every day. They were incredible and usually played the same course, so they knew it like the back of their hands, and I was lost out there. I enjoyed it, but I, I just couldn't keep up because I can't play every day. If I'm going to develop the, the habit, if I'm going to develop into a good golfer, that means I'm going to have to do it every day over and over and over again. And I know a hobby is not the same as a habit, but the principle's the same. In order to be good at it, you've got to do it over and over and over again. And the same's true. If I'm going to develop the character of Christ, and there are some habits that I need to, to, to commit myself to, and I need to do them over and over and over again. So what are some of those? You think about it, we're all just a bundle of habits. Sometimes, listen, if Mandy's frustrated with me, I know it because she usually interrupts my routine for the day because I'm a creature of habit. And I get up, I do the same thing over and over again. And if she throws a monkey wrench in it, I know something's wrong. I've done something wrong. But you think about it. I mean, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth by habit. Men, if, if you shave every morning, you probably start on the same side of your face. You've got a pattern of how to do it. You get in the shower, I won't go into too much detail. You probably start with the same body part, left arm, right arm. Then you go through the motions, whatever your routine is. Let's face it, we're creatures of habit. We do things in a pattern. We do things by routine. And so what we need to do is make sure that part of our routine consists of the habits that God wants us to adopt. It's easier to form new habits that are good to re than to replace old habits that are bad, isn't it? But the verse tells us that we've got to replace those old habits. So how do we do that? We do it by replacing them with good habits. That's the only way to replace bad habits. So what are those habits? Well, four habits that I've identified, not just me, this isn't original to me, but are identified in spiritually mature people. Number one is time with God's Word. By the way, We've talked about core equip classes. That's part of our goal for the next year is to have core equip classes. And, and, and these four habits make up the, the topics of those four equip classes. The first one is time with God's Word, which we will begin on Wednesday nights in February. It will be our first equip class. If, if I'm going to be like Christ, I need to develop the habit of spending time in God's Word. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews... Who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples. The Bible says that a disciple, he or she, is somebody who spends time in God's word. What does that look like? Well, this is what this class will be made up of. I'll give you a brief overview. One, one way I spend time in God's word is doing what you guys are doing right now by hearing the word of God, taught and preached. There are different ways that we can do that. 
but we are, are called to hear the Word of God. Look at Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from what? From hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. You can hear by listening to sermons, being in a Sunday school class, listening to messages on the radio, streaming, MP3, whatever floats your boat. Now that, that, that can't be where it stops. You have to go beyond hearing, but hearing is part of it. One of the, the ways that we spend time in God's Word is to hear the Word of God. We have to move past that, though. We have to read it for ourselves. That's another way we spend time in God's Word, reading the Word of God. Revelation 1.3 says, The one who reads this, the Word of God, is blessed. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. Read the Bible daily. One of the habits we need to make sure we develop is spending time in God's Word, reading it daily. Read it book by book, systematically. Read all of it, not just the parts you like the most. Read the Bible. And if you're starting out, start out small. In our equip class, we'll talk about how to do that, but, but don't think you're going to start out reading six chapters a day. But, but read it and read, stick, find a reading plan. How many of you have the Bible app on your phone? Filled with tons of great devotionals, great reading plans, from reading through for an entire year to reading a few verses with a devotion a day. Find a plan and stick with it. If you skip a day, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up too much. Just start back the next day. The important thing is that you spend time reading it daily. Read the Bible daily and then study it. If I'm going to develop into being like Christ, then I, I've got to go beyond just devotional reading. I have to spend time studying the Word of God. And I want you to hear me. You don't have to have a seminary degree to study the Bible. If I can study the Bible, anybody can study the Bible. When I was coming up in school, studying was not what I was known for. Ask my parents. I, I, on more than one occasion, my, my, my dad told my mom, we need to let that boy quit college and get a job. I finally grew a brain and figured out how to study, and then I was in school for another 10 years after that because God has a sense of humor. But, but anybody can study the Bible. Don't think that you can't. Start with a good study Bible. The NIV, the NLT study Bible, the Holman study Bible. Start with a good study Bible. Read a passage. Take notes on what you learn. Whatever jumps off the page at you. Look at the study section, the commentary section of your Bible. See what other people have said about it. That's a good place to get started. We're going to talk more about how you can learn to study the Bible in our equip class. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. I mean, that, he's talking to Timothy, but that's for all of us, folks. We need to make sure we are, are able to present ourselves approved to God, accurately hand, handling the word of truth. We don't need to be ashamed. We need to study the word of God. We've got to know the word of God, and we need to, to memorize the word of God. That's another way we spend time in God's word. Proverbs 7, 2 and 3 says, Keep my commands and live. Protect my teachings as the pupil of your eye. Tie them to your fingers. It's a wonderful life every year, the, the uncle that, that ties strings to his fingers because he forgets everything. That's what this is talking about, memorizing, making it a part of your memory. Tie them to your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, because the truth is, if God's word is in my heart, then I've got it with me everywhere I go. You can carry the Bible everywhere on your phone, your device, but if I've got it in my heart, I can use it any time. So putting it in my heart is one of the ways I spend time in, in God's word, memorizing it. Then meditating on the scriptures. I've talked a lot about being busy. I think one of the effects of being busy is that we don't spend enough time meditating 
on the Word of God, the truths of Scripture. We need to spend time thinking, internalizing, yes, memorizing, but meditating on the Word of God. It helps us to become like Christ. It helps us to know how to pray. It helps us to know the will of God. So how do we meditate? Well, how do you meditate? Picture whatever passage you're reading. Picture that passage. As you're studying, you're looking at study notes, you're looking at a passage of Scripture, maybe you'll underline some things, you'll highlight color code verses, but then you move from studying and you're going to meditate on it. Picture the scene in your mind as you're reading it, unfolding before you, what it must have looked like in the ancient world and, and, and what was happening. Picture the scene in your mind. Rewrite the Scripture in your own words. If you're ever taking a writing class, it's one of the practices. Take the story, rewrite it in your own words. It helps you learn it. If it's talking about an individual, you can replace personal pronouns with yourself, names with yourself. Put yourself in the story to help internalize it. Thinking about it, rephrasing it in your own words, making it personal. These are ways that we meditate. And then don't, don't forget to ask the question, what is this challenging me to do? There's a truth that is, is timeless, but, but what is it? How, how do I take it and apply it? How do I use it in my own life, which is another way we spend time in God's Word, is applying. We read it, we hear it, we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we meditate on it, but we've got to take it and use it in our daily lives. James 1.22 says, be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. You've got to move past hearing. Hearing is important, but you've got to move past that. Not just hearers of the word only, deceiving yourselves. Matthew 5.19, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices, applies, and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Three questions to ask when determining how to apply the word of God. First of all, what did it mean to the original hearers, the people who it was originally written to? Because within that, you're going to find the answer to the second question, and that is, what is the underlying timeless principle? There's a principle in this passage that it was taught to the, the original people. There's a truth there that will never change. It's timeless. But here's what, what does change. The truth does not change, but the third question, how do I take that truth and apply it in 21st century living for Christ? I mean, how do I use it today? How does God want me to use this in my life? That's application. So we need to apply it. We need to spend time in God's Word. The next habit is prayer. We need to spend time in prayer. John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Again, the condition there is not a free ticket to get whatever you want. It's that if I, if I remain in Christ, I know him, I know his will, and I'm going to ask for things in line with his will because he's giving me the desires of my heart. That's what that verse means. He, he shows me what he wants, and I pray in line with that. And when I do that, God's ready to give it. So prayer, we just went through a series on prayer on Wednesday night, but briefly I'm just going to cover the acts of prayer. It'll get you started. Adoration. I start my prayer with, God, you are holy. You deserve my praise. I'm going to praise God. I'm adoring him. Then I'm going to confess sin. See, confession of sin. I want to make sure that my heart is right before I begin to ask God for things. If there's sin in my life, Lord, show me. I'm confessing it. I'm turning from it. And then I'm going to thank him. Thanksgiving. Before I've ever asked for anything, I've praised him. I've confessed my sin. Lord, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you in advance because I know you're going to answer the requests in your time that I'm going to make. And then supplication, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'm going to intercede on behalf of others, and I'm going to make requests for myself. 
but I've done all those other things first. My heart is right. My desire is to be in line with God's will. Then I'm going to begin to ask for things. And so our prayer life has to be healthy if we're going to grow. The third thing is tithing. Tithing is giving God 10% of my income. One of the habits, if I'm going to grow spiritually, tithing is important. The Bible teaches the importance of, of practicing tithing. Jesus said in Luke 14, none of you will be my disciples unless he gives up 10%, right? No. He says, unless you give up everything to follow me. You can't be the disciple of Christ unless you give up everything. That's what he requires. So how does tithing relate to that? Well, tithing shows that I've done that. Because by trusting him, giving him 10%, I'm saying, Lord, it all belongs to you. I'm trusting you with all of my life. In practical terms, if I make $100, I'm writing a check for $10, 10% of that, giving it to God. It's not saying, God, I'm giving you 10% of my money. It's saying, God, here's 10%. Thank you for giving me 90% of your money. It's all yours. It all belongs to you, and one of the ways I'm showing that I trust you with all of it is that I'm giving you 10%. It's an act of faith. God doesn't need our money. I mean, he, he's not subject to that sort of thing. It's not about making money for the church. Yes, we do have to have money to operate. That's how you do ministry, but it's an issue of faith. It's an important issue of faith. It's God, my money belongs to you. My time belongs to you. My family belongs to you. Everything that you've entrusted me with, it is yours. Thank you. And I trust you with it all. It's one of the ways that we show that. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 14, 23, you shall eat in the presence of the Lord at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and your firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord, your God always. Tithing teaches us to fear God and to put him first in our lives. Because let's face it, we need money every day. Our possessions, sometimes we hold on to those things for security. If we're able to release those and let God have control, then that means we trust him with everything. Fellowship is another habit that we need to practice if we're going to grow spiritually. We need to fellowship with God first, but with one another, each other. John chapter 13, 34, the new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus said, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says, love for each other, fellowship. Love for each other is how the world will know that we are followers of Christ. So we look at this. Let's break this down. Prayer and study of God's word, that's vertical. As I talk to God, and then he reveals himself to me through his word, that's a vertical relationship between God and myself. Tithing and fellowship, those are horizontal. If God is number one in my time, in my money, in my, in my relationships, he'll be number one in my life. But if he's not number one in my time, if he's not number one in my money, if he's not number one in my relationships, he's not going to be number one in my life. All of these habits, vertically with God, horizontally with each other, and with the things of the world, if we form habits... That, that follow these, these principles, if we form these habits, God will use that to develop spiritual maturity in our lives. So how do we get started? Well, number one, you got to have a desire. you got to have a desire to do it. God will give you the desires of your heart, but you got to have a desire to do it. Then you got to make a decision to do it. Don't wait for the, all the stars to align. Make a decision that I'm going to start developing these habits. And then you've got to make a declaration. you got to make a commitment to do it. Psalm 76, 11 says, make vows to the Lord and then what? Keep those vows. 
Make a commitment, but before you make a commitment, make sure that you're serious about doing this. But make a commitment, and, and our commitment should mean something. And then be determined. Did you know that it takes between 7 and 21 repetitions of anything to learn it? If you're going to learn something, say you're going to learn to juggle. 7 to 21 repetitions before you start to, to begin to get the hang of it. If you're going to have a quiet time, don't do it for three days and give up. It's going to take 7 to 21 times before you really start to get the feel of it. Make a commitment to do it for at least that long, and then you'll start to get the feel of it. If you're going to tithe or if you're going to attend a small group, don't go for two Sundays and then quit. Do it several times. We'll say 21 times at least, and then you'll begin to get the hang of it. You need to go beyond that, but that'll, that'll take up a good chunk of the year right there. The point is, is it involves repetition. You can't just say, oh, that just didn't work out. Well, how many times did you try it? Well, I did it three days, and then I got busy. No, it, it requires time. It requires dedication. You've got to be determined, and then just do it. Don't wait and seize every opportunity. Hear me, seize every opportunity to reinforce the habit that you're beginning. If you're starting out on a quiet time, you've never done it before, you can have four or five quiet times a day. It's okay. If, if you feel led to do it, to, anytime you can reinforce that habit, remember, repetition is the key. Do it. Reinforce that habit. Double up. Get an accountability partner who will ask you about these habits, how you're doing in these, in these areas. And then depend on God because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You're going to make a decision to start one of these habits, and immediately Satan's going to begin to try to distract you from that habit. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. Every day, remember, every day... I'm surrendering to the Lord. I'm, I'm picking up my cross every day. Lord, your way, not my way. I need your power, your strength to be able to do this. But if you depend on the power of God, then you can do it because Philippians 4.13 tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We have to depend on the power of God. We're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about what it means to grow spiritually. And I want to try to give you a little bit of a visual for that this morning. I've got three glasses here. All three of these glasses represent something. The first one, of course, is green. What do you think that represents? Growth, right. Green, we think of things growing. Plants, grass, trees, green leaves, things of that nature. Green represents growth. And our goal is that we want to grow spiritually. We want to be characterized that way. When people look at us, Hey, they are disciples of Christ. They're growing in their faith. They're practicing these habits. A lot of people, unfortunately, are like this glass. They're blue. They're blue because they're not where they should be. And let's face it, there are a lot of things in life that cause us to be blue. There are a lot of distractions, a lot of things that happen to us. You know, things don't go the way that we plan. You know, living for Jesus is harder than we thought. Our family lives aren't what we would like for them to be. Our jobs aren't where they, we, would, we think that they should be or where we should be in our jobs. And so we're blue, but we don't want to stay blue. We want to be green. We want to grow. And so what does it take to get from here to there? Well, that's where the next glass comes in. Yellow, I think of the sun. I think of light and what we need in our lives in order to become green, to grow spiritually, is we need the light of Christ and his word. The Bible says in Psalm, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows us the word of God in our lives. He shows us. He uses that to teach us to grow, how to grow. All of the habits, all of the, the principles that I've talked about this morning come from the word of God. In, in the word of God, there are principles 
that he teaches us, habits that we can practice that will help us grow spiritually. So what we've got to do in order to grow spiritually, it all begins with, first of all, the presence, the light of Christ, his presence in our lives, and then the word of Christ in our lives. But once we do that, we can become green. We can grow spiritually. That's the goal. There's no secret formula. It's right there for everybody to learn. These habits, it's not rocket science. It's, it's just becoming like Jesus, developing the characteristics that he displays as we see him display them in his word. He teaches us how to do it. So here's your challenge. We're going to have goals church-wide. We'll get to those in a second, but there's a personal challenge for everybody. Number one is this. I'm challenging you. I'm not going to check up on you Not my place to do that, but I'm challenging everybody here to make three personal challenges. And it's in your handout, on your handout. A commitment to spiritual growth. Number one, commit to a daily time with God, a quiet time. Every day, spend time with the Lord. Every day. If you miss a day, pick right back up the next day. Just every day. A weekly tithe to God, giving God 10% of all that I have, all that he entrusts me with. I'm going to give him 10%. It's an act of faith. And then third, a committed team for God. We talked about this last week, but one of the ways you're going to be discipled, remember discipleship is key to growing spiritually, is in a connection group. So you're committing to a daily time with God, a weekly tithe to God, and a committed team for God, a small group. That's the personal commitment. What are we going to do as a church in order to promote spiritual growth over the next year? Well, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to begin our equip classes. I talked about that. The first one is... Time in God's Word. It'll begin the first Wednesday in February. I know some of you are tied up on Wednesdays. We will offer it again at some point during the year. We're going to begin that on Wednesday nights in February. Here's another challenge. You can pick or choose or do both. We want to promote spiritual growth. We want to promote spending time in God's Word. We want to promote developing spiritual disciplines. So I'm challenging you to do one or two or both of these things. Read through the Bible in a year. If you'll look in your in your bulletin, there's a guide to do that. We've made it easy. Okay, it's on the website too. This is, I like, when I read through the Bible, I've done it both ways, but I like the chronological reading through the Bible. And that's what this is. It's just a guide to do that. Again, it's on the website. Another option, or you can do both, is I'm recommending a book that you can read that's on spiritual disciplines. The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People by John Ortberg. One of the reasons I like it is his name, Ortberg. It's unique. But no, it's a really good book, an easy-to-read book on developing spiritual disciplines. The link to this is on the webpage under the Grow tab. The Read Through the Bible Guide is in your bulletin on the webpage under the Grow tab. Another goal, pick one or both of those. In your family, we want you to develop a quiet time, time alone with God. That's your personal commitment. But in your family, do you have a daily Bible study with your family? If not, I'm encouraging you to start one. I mentioned the Bible apps on your device. There are tons of good family plans. If you have small kids like me, some of them have videos, and the kids love the videos. Those are good, but there's one that I would recommend that we've started. We kind of took a pause from it to do one of those those plans geared towards the younger kids because we have the younger kids. One I would recommend is 66 Books, One Story, A Guide to Every Book in the Bible by Paul Reynolds. It's a great overview of the entire Bible and how it all points to Jesus. The link to that, again, on our website. You can look under the Grow tab. If you are a couple, you don't have kids. Maybe your kids are out of the home. Maybe you don't have kids. I can't recommend a better starter Bible study than James Dobson's Nightlight for Couples. If I marry a couple, that's one of the gifts I'll give them. Start with that. Great devotional to do. If you're parents and you want to do one without your kids, 
Nightlight for Parents is a good one. There are tons of them, but there's just a few. Again, those links are on the webpage. You can, it takes you straight to Amazon where you can buy a used copy or a new copy, whatever, Kindle version, whatever. We're going to end with 1 Timothy 4, 7. Those are our goals. And I challenge you, I challenge us as a church to reach, to strive to meet those goals. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Verse 8, physical training is good, and it is. But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life, and we want to benefit from our relationship to God in this life, and we will if we're growing spiritually. But more than that, there are benefits in the life to come. I'm talking about salvation. You don't earn your salvation, but there are rewards for the faithful. And, and in this life, we can grow close to God, more intimate in our relationship with him. We can become more like Jesus. And in the life to come, we will be like him. We will never be completely like him in this life, but when we see Jesus face to face, we will be as he is. That's the goal. Spiritual maturity, one step at a time, one day at a time, becoming like Christ. And with his help, his power, his strength, we can develop the habits necessary to become believers who have grown deep in our relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us the tools needed, the strength, the power, the tools, your presence. Everything we need to grow spiritually has been made available to us. We know that the only way that we can begin that process, of course, is to be your children, to be saved, to be in a relationship with you. The only hope for growing spiritually is first if we know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that if there's someone here in this room today who hasn't taken that first step of growth, the most important step of receiving the salvation that only you can provide, I pray that during this time of commitment, they would come and allow me to share with them how to make that decision. There may be others here today who, who aren't are, are believers but haven't grown at all, and they need to begin the process of developing these habits today. And we as a church family want to support them, but maybe that's the commitment that needs to be made. Maybe some folks are growing spiritually, but like us all, like all of us, we know we haven't arrived. We'll never arrive until we arrive in heaven. So maybe there's an area we're struggling with a little bit or, or that we need to, to develop even more. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would develop those habits and continue to develop those habits. Father, you've called us into a relationship with you, but you didn't call us and leave us as we were. You called us to conform us into the image of your son Jesus. That was your plan from the beginning for us to be like you. Not gods, but to be godly. So Father, I pray that we would do whatever it takes to put you first in our lives, to take up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and follow you. To, to be obedient and to identify with you in suffering and service and sacrifice, to be able to do whatever you've called us to do so that we can become like you. But we want to be mature in our faith, deep, our roots deep in you and in your word. Lord, we thank you for being patient with us, and I pray that today would be the beginning of a new journey, going deeper in our relationship with you. Whatever other commitments need to be made, Father, I pray that we would make those now, in this time. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our commitment?